There is a trigger warning on this episode. It contains references to rape and sexual assault that come straight from the biblical text. Now, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth. When she heard the news that the Ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her labor pains overwhelmed her. As she was about to die, the women attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or give heed. She named the child Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. She said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Ichabod. He's got to have one of the shortest stories in the entire Bible. He basically gets born on the day that his entire family dies, and then we hear almost nothing more about him. But I'm not satisfied with that. I believe that there has to be more to the story. I have to ask questions like, who raised him? And how did he live up to the troubled legacy of his family? Fortunately, I have a great platform to explore questions like that. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 4.2 Icky Icky Ichabod When a child is given a name that means no glory, it is only natural that he would wonder why. That was what had happened to Ichabod. In fact, ever since he had been a little child, he had been reminded of the meaning of his name every day of his life. His friends and playmates, from as early as he could remember, had mocked him for it had even invented a little song that they would sing whenever he came near. Icky, icky, Ichabod, where's the glory now it's gone? Icky, 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 Ichabod. Children can be so cruel. Ichabod longed to be able to explain his name. But he had no one to explain it to him. His name had been given him by his mother, but he could not ask her, for she had given it to him with her very dying breath, as she bled out shortly after bringing him into the world. He couldn't ask his father either, for he too was dead, had died on the very same day. 
Indeed, the story was that his entire extended family had all been wiped out on that day, which might well have something to do with lost glory, but if he never heard the whole story, how could he understand or explain that? After his mother and father had died, Ichabod had been entrusted to a young couple from a nearby village. They had recently lost their own newborn daughter, hardly an uncommon occurrence in those days, and the mother had milk that could be given to another child. Thereafter they had continued to raise Ichabod as their own, and had even come to love him in time. But it was always understood that Ichabod was the son of his father, Phineas, and that he would one day receive that inheritance. But for the moment his foster parents, who had still not had any children of their own who had survived past infancy, were the only family that he had. But they had always shown a marked reluctance to discuss anything about Ichabod's birth family. They always changed the subject whenever Ichabod tried to bring it up. There seemed to be something that troubled them deeply. But, as Ichabod grew older, and especially as he drew nearer to the date when he would finally inherit his family's property, he grew more desperate to understand. Finally, he resolved that he would go to his foster mother and demand that she tell him the story, the whole story, of where his name came from. Once he had made it clear that he was not leaving without an answer, his mother heaved a deep sigh, sat him down, and began to tell the story. Your grandfather, Eli, was a good man. He knew how to serve the people. He came from a long line of priests who had been chosen by the gods to help the people. One of the great gifts given by the gods to the people was the gift of trained animals. The ancient heroes of our people, inspired by the gods, had taken the wild animals of the hills, the sheep and the goats and the cattle, and brought them into their settlements to tend them with care. This brought to the people many blessings, like the gift of milk and cheese and wool. And, on special occasions, the opportunity to eat the meat of these animals, which brought them great strength and resilience. But very early on, the people learned that this act of eating the animals with which they had lived, great blessing though it was, was fraught with danger and judgment because it was a sacred act. It is always a sacred thing when one being gives its life for the sake of another. So the people observed that when the animals were not killed or butchered in the correct ways, people would fall sick and die because of the judgment of the gods. They also learned that sickness would come when they ate certain parts of the animals, like the fat or the blood. Even if they just left those leftover parts in the garbage heaps of their villages, 
they would not escape judgment, and the gods would send wild animals in to attack the people, and their houses would be filled with vermin, and again many would fall sick and die. And so the people cried out to their gods to give them guidance, and the gods, in their kindness, raised up families of priests who would lead the people in the sacred act of eating the meat that the gods had given them. Eli was one such priest, and the priest of Yahweh at Shiloh. He was a good priest who served the god with integrity. He fulfilled the task that the god had given him by receiving the animals that the people brought to him, slaughtering them and butchering them correctly, and giving the meat back to the people to eat while he burned the fat and bones and other bits on the altar as a gift to Yahweh. Now, it had always been understood that the priests who performed this vital service deserved to be paid for their knowledge and work, and the priests of Shiloh were no different. Payment came in the form of a portion of meat that was given to the priest so that he might share it with his family, or perhaps even sell it to the wealthy. The tradition at Shiloh was this. After the slaughter had occurred, and the worshippers had withdrawn with their families to prepare their meal together by boiling the meat in the great pots that were kept for the people there, a servant of the priest would come around to each family with a three-pronged fork. He would dip the fork into the pot, and whatever portion of meat he speared would be taken and given to the priest. This tradition, practiced over many generations, was considered to be fair and even generous to the priestly families. But then the sons of Eli, your father Phineas, and your uncle Hophni, began to take on sacrificial duties from their father. That's when things turned very sour. As she said this, Ichabod's foster mother fell silent for a while, as she was swept away by her memories of a dark time. Ichabod went and poured a cup of wine for his mother. She drank it gratefully and took a while to compose herself before she could continue. My son, this part of the story is hard for me to tell you, because at this point it became a part of my story. When I turned thirteen, my parents sent me on a vow to serve at the sanctuary of Shiloh. Like many other young women, and like the prophet Samuel, who was also sent to that sanctuary around the same time, I was dedicated to the service of Yahweh. I served with other young women at the entrance to the tent of meeting. It was considered to be a great honor for my family, but I did not find it to be a good season in my life. From my position, I saw all that the priests did, and I saw the resentment it caused in the people. Hophni and Phineas were not satisfied with the traditional portions given to the priests. They began to request more and more of the worshippers who came to the sanctuary. They would demand to have a large portion before anything was cooked, because they had heard of how some people in foreign lands would roast their meats, 
and they wanted to try the exotic flavors. Even worse, they would take portions that were strictly forbidden to be eaten by any people, but that were dedicated to the god. They took the fat together with the meat and spoke often about the delectable flavor of meat roasted with the fat and the blood. The people were scandalized and disgusted by what they did, but they had no choice if they wanted their meat slaughtered at the sanctuary. Ichabod's mother fell silent once again, and this time she began to weep silently. Ichabod was puzzled. Mother, he said, I agree that what my father and my uncle did was not right. But I'm not sure I understand why it affects you so deeply. They did not do this to you, did they? No, not that. That didn't affect me personally. But there was something else. The more they got away with, the more daring Hophni and Phineas became. They began to think that nothing should be denied them, and indeed nothing was. When they began to take the women who served at the door of the tent, we could do nothing. Your father, Phineas, seemed to take a particular liking to me, and believe me, there was nothing good about that. Especially in that he appeared to take a particular delight in my pain and in the screams that nobody else seemed to hear. I came to dread in my very existence, but there was nobody that I could speak to. One of the other girls went to Eli and told him about what his sons were doing. And, though he did believe her, all he did was call in his sons and tell them not to rape so much, and that Yahweh would take vengeance. But he did not restrict their freedom, nor did he remove them from their exalted posts, and they continued to have their way with us. Phineas lost interest in me when I became pregnant, which was, I suppose, some small blessing. In order that I should not tell my tale, which I have told to nobody until now, his family found a husband for me, the man who is your foster father, who has been a good man to me and has brought some love back into my life. They paid us a pension and never expected to hear from us again. <laughs> and my daughter, well, I have told you before about my undying sorrow that she lived for but a few days. What I haven't told you is that she was also your half-sister. <laughs> when she died, and then your mother and your father both died on the day that you were born. Your extended family decided that we were in their debt, and we needed to take you. 
Ichabod. I wanted to hate you. I wanted to resent everything about you. But you were just a baby. And you had nobody in the whole world who would care about you. I clasped you to my breast, and you took my milk, which relieved a pain that I had thought would never go away. Your father was the man who destroyed my life, or at least the life I thought I was going to have. Hitchabod, you are the one who has given me a reason to live, and so you are the one who has repaired my life. Despite every vow I ever made when you were given to me, I love you, and I am so grateful you have come into my life. You are my child. I suspect the only child that Yahweh will ever give me, and I believe that God gave you to me for a reason. I hope you can figure that reason out. Ichabod never spoke of such matters with his mother again, but he never forgot that conversation. In time, when he came of age, he did take his proper place according to his family inheritance. He was trained in the ways of the priesthood, the selection and humane slaughter of beasts, how to cut them and prepare them in ways sanctioned by the gods how to burn the portions of fat given to Yahweh, and how to claim a proper and fair portion for his priestly family. Under his eventual leadership, the people began to see the priests in a new light and to appreciate their leadership of the people again. I suspect that his foster mother would have been very proud. I have always felt that the story of the reviled priests, Hophni and Phineas, is extremely important to understand the role of the sacrificial system and of the priesthood in early Israel. The sacrificial system came to be an essential part of many aspects of Israel's relationship to their God, but the story of Hophni and Phineas indicates that, at its origins, the priesthood primarily developed as a kind of food safety system, a way of dealing with the risks and dangers posed by the eating of domesticated animals. Though none of this would have been understood in the terms that we understand such things, but rather as an expression of realities of a spiritual realm. I am very appreciative of Ichabod's foster mother, for lending me her voice to tell the story. I admit, of course, to the generous use of poetic license. Of course, a simple peasant woman such as she would not have had an anthropologist's understanding of the origins of sacrificial systems. The understanding of the risks of eating domesticated meat and the priestly strategies for dealing with those risks is obviously something that developed over many, many generations and no one person who lived through it could have understood it all. 
Nevertheless, I do not think it is unreasonable to assume that the peasants of ancient Israel had a basic understanding that the priests were there to protect them when they engaged in the sacred act of eating another living thing in order to remain alive. But ultimately, the story of Hophni and Phineas is not a story of a food safety system. It is a story about the misuse and abuse of religious authority and power. It is a story about how powerful people get away with this and about how those who should stop them, like Eli in this story, just let them get away with it. And that, my friends, is a story that is just as relevant today as it has ever been. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Make sure you subscribe so that you can get the next one at the end of next month. A great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. Special thanks to Gabrielle McCandless, who once again stepped up to play the role of Ichabod's amazing foster mother. The theme music for the podcast is Ada. The mood music for this episode is Sad Trio. The music is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incopatech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible, or through responding to the show notes that have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs>